Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're grateful for this morning, for the saints, for your word. We'd ask that you be with us as we examine what your Apostle John laid out for the saints in his day. In your son's name, amen. We're in 1 John chapter 2, <clears throat> what is sometimes held to be a difficult passage. Some great, memorable passages in it, but there's some also some difficult ones which uh, people interpret, uh, I think, incorrectly. <clears throat> but I also want to warn you that last week, the sermon, when it, people said, the sermon never gets shorter, how come it was so short last week? Well, that's how long that sermon was. It doesn't get shorter from what it is, but it was a short sermon, like 30 minutes, something like that. And uh, I don't want you to get your hopes up. Okay, just saying. Well, in 1 John, <clears throat> as you know, most of the book is about how do I know I'm a Christian? And basic uh, phrases are repeated. By this you will know that you have life in him. It will tells you what to think about, what to look at, what to examine. In chapter 2, verse 12, he says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Now, what the, sort of an introduction to what's coming, he's, he's holding his parishioners, the people who look to him for teaching guidance, in this... You, we probably recognize it as you fellowship with saints. There are a variety of maturities. People who are at different points, just come to Christ, you know, just starting to get serious about their faith, people who have walked the walk for a long time. There is this state in it, if you wanted to say everyone, you at least begin with the children, if that's young people in the Lord, people new in Christ, forgiven. And they know him when it's repeated. First the time they're forgiven, the second time it's they know him. The fathers, it's always you know him who is from the beginning. And the young men are overcoming. So these are the things that are, or the, the people that, you might say very fondly, Paul John has a very fond approach, um, my beloved brethren, my beloved children. He's very much an apostle, what people call him the apostle of love. Um, and so this is his company of various maturities that he is talking to. He says, I'm writing to you because of the various states you are in. And it doesn't matter what state you are in, they're various, but you all need to hear this. I am writing to you because... So when he says, verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world, he says that's what he's writing to them. Do not love the world 
or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. Now what we're going to run into is a number of very black and white, on, off, either, or type statements. But I want you to follow what he is doing with the people he is writing to you to. He's writing to a broad range of maturities, and the basic task for every Christian, not for the mature Christian, for the little children, for the fathers, for the young men. If you want to think of those as metaphors for ages in Christ, you may. You might want to think it was actually for little children, old men, and young men. Well, whatever the case, there is a broad array of maturity. And the same instruction is there for every Christian. You do not love the world or the things in the world. Because if you love the world, you don't love the Father. Now, why is that? For all that is in the world, explaining, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, now don't get all worked up. (laughs) The word just is desire. The desire of the flesh. Lust carries with it like ickiness. It's got like Turkish delight sticky all over it. (laughs) This desire of the flesh Lust of the eyes, whatever you think that might be, and the pride of life. Those things are the things in the world. They are not of the Father, but are of the world. Those desires are what you have here. These are your motivating forces. When James says when you are tempted, you are lured and enticed by your own desires. These are your basic three categories of desire. And your desire becomes, as you've heard me say in recent months a lot, your desire matters to you because it is your desire, it is your feeling. You are the one rewarded, you are the one hurt, you are the one pleased. And so it matters to you how those desires work out. But you need to know that they exist in this world And it doesn't exist in the, you might say, the life in the Father. And then it tells you, and the world passes away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So what he is telling Christians of every place maturity-wise, that your task is to not be in love with the world. Now, I've said this before, maybe you've heard me, maybe you haven't. The thing that you are commanded to do is not love. Either the world as a category or the things in the world as specifics. It is not pointing to the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life and saying those are bad things. Not that. Those are all things God made in this world. He made the world and everything in it. The problem for the Christian is whether they love the world or the things in the world. The word here in love, now I'm not no Greek scholar, but I kind of look something up. Whenever you see the word love in the New Testament, we English speakers go, golly, we know that our word doesn't pick. This is agape. This is what most people call Christian love, just because C.S. Lewis wrote a book where agape ends up being charity. 
But this is the word being used here, do not agape the world. Work that out in your mind. Meditate on that for a little bit. What does it mean? Know what's forbidden because he has said, I am writing to you, everybody. You're in different states of the Lord. Here this morning, we're in different states with the Lord. Forgiven, unforgiven. Mature, immature. Overcoming, not overcoming. But all of those Christians who desire to serve God need to understand your basic marching orders. The world passes away in the desires of it. Everything you cling to, you know how you, somebody can just do very well. Get all Solomonic about their urges and have everything they want. And then slowly as they age, they become less able to go up a flight of stairs. We can't even change our elevation easily. We can't hang on to anything. Remember what the Lord said? Um, Who by worry can add one cubit to his span of life? If you cannot do such a little thing as that, we can't keep any of these things we devote ourselves to. They just start slipping away. Read the end of Ecclesiastes for that great description of everything that starts to slip away. Great description of getting old. It's going to be... (laughs) You're going to take my gun when they pry it from my cold, dead fingers. Well, God's going to take your gun from your cold, dead fingers, as a matter of fact. You're going to be dead. It's going to be gone. The desires of it. We can't... It only has this world to exist in. That's why it says, enjoy wife with the life whom you love all the vain days of your life, which is God has given you under the sun, for this is your lot. That's it. There is no marriage or given in marriage in heaven. You're married, you're married to this person now. This is the immediate get. But you don't have anything more than that. So if I were to fall in love, I don't mean to suggest you not love your wife, but... If you fell in love with the idea of having her as your wife, you end up joining the Mormon church because they promise you eternal marriage. Christianity doesn't. Because you can't have the things of this world forever. We can't be in service to them. So the admonition to the believer is, don't love that. Accept that gift, enjoy that gift, but don't love that. Because the world passes away, and the things you want to be in love with are the things of the Father, things who do the will of God, and whoever does abides forever. That's neither or. You know, we might say that John's getting a little bit too black and white about this, but accept that he's black and white at least. Start there, start with what he says. Because it really is, can I really serve two masters? You either love one and hate the other. No man could serve God and mammon. Because that's what love is. What you love is what you face. What you face, what you serve. What you offer yourself to. When you love your spouse, you face your spouse. You do things for her or him. We face the world, or we face the Father. Now, that's your basic task. 
I'm writing these things to you for every, from every vantage point of the faith that you would understand this, that the task you have is to not love that, love that. Now, children, verse 18. It is the last hour. I don't know what your eschatology is. I'm not going to fix it. Just deal with it. It is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, oh, this really is end-timey stuff. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour because there's so many Antichrists standing around. So many Antichrists standing around. Now, what this is introducing is not your commonly held, osmotically picked up views of the rapture, the Antichrist, the 666, whether the UPC symbols tattooed on your forehead are going to be the end. It's about something in the first century that John the Apostle is dealing with. These are many Antichrists. And remember, I am writing these things to you, children, young men, and fathers, in order to convey to you the need to not love the world and to warn you about these teachers. They, these Antichrists, verse 19, went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be plain that they are all not of us, that they all are not of us. Now he echoes that somewhere in chapter 4 in 1 John as well. Speaking of false teachers, they are of the world. Therefore, what they say is of the world, and the world listens to them. We are of God. Whoever knows God listens to us. And he who is not of God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John is telling the young believers, the mid-range believers, and the old believers, things they need to have at the center of their, you might say, their Christian piety, because we get so many different teachers thrown at us. Don't believe that because it is a Christian publishing house that they have their heads screwed on straight. They might publish somebody who's completely wacky. Well, what, is it, what is the basic thing that John suggests that you watch out of these antichrists? They left the apostolic. They left the apostolic teaching. Don't even believe people who call certain writers the apostolic fathers. Because that's kind of the cheating your way into being apostolic. If you've read the Apostolic Fathers, sometimes they say something intelligent. Most of the time, not that valuable. Not like you're reading the scriptures. What you want to do, if you say, I'm living in 2015, how am I? Well, maybe if I knew where the apostles stood when John says, if they went out from us, they were not of us. It's so that's so you can see. Some of them will just outright reject what the apostle says. They will tell you, I don't think Paul was right here, or Peter was right there, or James, or whomever it is. 
They're almost a waving a flag over there, marching out away from... Um, I read an online story about some Baptist church. It used to be a Southern Baptist. I guess it's no longer in that denomination. Big Baptist church somewhere in the country decided to... Not just... Well, transgendered and gay people are now welcome into the pastorate of this church. Baptist church. The Southern Baptist Convention went, eh, you guys, I yeah, hope you'll come back to the Lord at some point. Now, they overtly just said, I, they don't say Paul teaches something else, they just say, I don't agree with Paul. There's a freedom to not agree with Paul. Now, do you concern yourself when you get taught things? John is writing to you so that you would be able to not be in love with the world. One of the basic things you see about people who buy into whatever the current liberal agenda is in, a, in biblical interpretation is that they desperately, desperately want to be accepted by the world. They're in love. They're pride of life. They're attentive. What does Chesterfield say? I've never known a man to be inattentive to the woman he loves or the man he feared. Who do you attend to? We attend, you know, if, a, if the girl you like comes into the room, you attend to everything she says. If someone you're afraid of enters the room, you attend to everything they do. The question you have when these either-ors are set up, you either love the world or you love God. Now you either listen to the apostles or you don't. And that's how you know they not only don't listen and they go out proving that they aren't of you, that it might be plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all know. Have you? He's writing to people that are in his teaching charge. We consider ourselves, whatever our theology, Bible-believing Christians, right? People who believe what it says. Teach Sunday to Sunday what it says. But here it adds something else, because it's warning you about teachers, antichrists, who you might be tempted to believe. Oh, that sounds really convincing. You have to also be conscious that you have an anointing that is supposed to be protected. You have been anointed, and you all know. So you guard the gospel, the teaching of the apostles, It's a very simple truth claim. It's a theology, very basic theology. It's the theology that unites all believers. If they do not believe that theology of the gospel, they are not believers. But we also are guiding the anointing we have. We have an anointing from the Holy Spirit. 
Now that's not an entirely separate phenomenon. Because what is the anointing of the Holy Spirit for? You'll find in John 16, I think I have it written out here, speaking of the coming Holy Spirit in John 16, he will glorify me, the Holy Spirit will glorify Christ. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So what's happening for the believer is we have to recognize that there is a basic task we are about. And for us to get fooled by people who want us to do something else, the mistake is in not seeing clearly the thing that we're centered on. Loving the Father, not loving the world. Seeing Christ in the gospel, having the anointing echo the gospel, because that's what the Holy Spirit came to do, was to remind the apostles of everything the Lord had said. Not to teach something different. You get the same God out of the Holy Spirit as you get out of Christ. This is all supposed to conspire together to make you more of a certain thing called more of what a Christian ought to be. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, verse 21, but because you know it. And you know that no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. You notice that he doesn't want to give up on this either-or, black-white situation. We'd like to paddle around, and we have so many categories when we're looking at teachers in the Christian church. So many categories of, of well, you know, he might, he might not be really solid on the issue of conversion, but he has a great bit of teaching on, are you listening to an antichrist? Are you listening to someone who denies that Jesus is the Christ if you deny the Father and the Son? Well, but he only denied Jesus, say you. So he doesn't have the same view of Jesus that you are supposed to have. No one who denies the Son has the Father. This is such a definite where you stand, what you're doing, what you hold type of issue. John wants you, for all of his being the apostle of love, he wants you to land in a certain place with your mind. He wants the gospel and the Holy Spirit in you to conspire to tell you the same thing, that you need to stand here. You stand with the apostles, and you stand for the gospel. Because you can't play with certain parts of your theology without overturning God the Father himself. He who confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. It all is a package. If you take the gospel, if you recognize the anointing brought this truth to you, recognize that that package, the Father and the Son, and, verse 25, and this is what he has promised us, eternal life. Examine, start to examine, what spirit you are of. I always like that as an optional reading in one of the pads where the disciples are correcting somebody 
who did not go with them. And we rebuked him, and Jesus says to them, in some of the ancient manuscripts, not all, you do not know what spirit you are of. Good thing to ask yourself, what spirit am I of? You ever have someone doubt your salvation? Did it kind of offend you? Did you stop and think, why? Maybe you should save other people the problem. Ask yourself, what kind of spirit am I of? Am I the kind of spirit, the anointing that I have, is it echoing the words of Christ, the message of the apostles regarding the death of Christ, that which we've had from the beginning, to abide in the Son and the Father? And it says, for instance, verse 26, I write this to you about those who would deceive you. There's not enough warning about being deceived. You guys are going to, you know, spend X number of years in this town, either as a student or whatever, and graduate or change jobs and move away and look for another church. Watch yourself. The place is awash with antichrists. All in the name of Christ. People who don't believe the claims. They want all the bells and whistles, the benefits of religion. They like the fact the buildings are cool. It makes them feel spiritual. They're not designing a love for the Father. They really are just living off the love they have for their own urges. Ministered to them by the opportunities that are available in church. I write this to you about those who would deceive you. It's a wonderful passage, but the anointing which you received from him abides in you. See how much is counted on. You, you're supposed to be having something that is sort of this anchor point, that the Holy Spirit has dropped anchor in your life at a place where you have, what's it saying? You have no need that anyone should teach you, as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true, and is no lie. And just as it has taught you, abide in him. You have to ask, because the spirit you are of will teach you. I don't care what spirit you are of, it will teach you. What did it teach you in Christ? If it teaches you, abide in Christ, it is the spirit of God. And that alone, that anointing, that shift, that metaphysical experience, that coming to the fruit of the Spirit of God in Christ, is able to be trusted. You don't need the pastor, the Bible study leader, somebody who went to seminary, whatever it is, to help you out. Oh yeah, there's going to be some questions, but you've got... You've got what the Lord has given. And though what the Lord has given, if anything, he wants you to understand that you could be kept from deception. It's not that these people are the most easily deceived who have, you know, just the Holy Spirit and all and just walking around getting, you know, taken for a ride. People who think that the Holy Spirit is those people who are filled with passion for their religion. Yeah, those people are a walking time bomb. Those people are just going to easily get deceived. But the people who have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit teaches you abide in Christ. I know a lot of people who 
claim to be all about the anointing they received, and they seem to only talk about the anointing they have received, not about Christ. This whole thing points back to whether or not the teacher is an antichrist. Oddly enough, people can take parts of this and become antichrist by becoming pro the anointing. No, the anointing is about Christ. The anointing is God himself indwelling you in such a way that you're built up in what Christ wants to build in you. Now, we haven't even gotten to that. We have this basic thesis statement of, don't love that, love that. Watch out for people that would take you away from those who would teach you of the Father, the Son. Notice how I, we're not a Trinitarian, I believe in the Trinity, but we don't get all up in your business about Trinity stuff. But there's the Trinity in this passage. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All working, all conspiring to be that God for you that is what you are and have other than the world. Everybody else has got the world. Everybody else is busy stacking up their gold ingots in a big enough pile so they can die on the top of it and be called something. We've got this. What it is that we've got? Check. You know, because one of the things is it about Jesus Christ? Is it about Him? Is it hold the Godhead together in you? Is it something? Is, is it something other than your desires of flesh? Now, I think desires for the eyes. This is a theory of mine. You can reject it, and it's just I like my theories. They're mine. Uh, that the desire of the eyes is uh, art, beauty. It's a separate, it's a separate kind of urge than the lust of the flesh. Listening to music, looking at great paintings, looking at beautiful scenery, hiking in the woods, whatever you like that is striking you as beauty, that's a separate lust than the desire of the flesh with sex and food and scratching itches. But is, is, is the spirit in you just some hidden model of those things of the world? Kind of a pious way of making them part of your religion so it didn't look, you didn't look so awful? Or is it something else? And what is that something else? Well, it certainly is going to be in Christ. I, I'm, I'm living in Christ. Verse 28, and now little children abide in him. He says, just as your anointing, if you've got it, that which is teaching you is leading you, you are staying with the apostolic teaching. You are staying with the gospel. It's going to be about Jesus Christ. It's training you to live in Christ. And now little children, Abide in him. That's what, in case it throws you, I like the RSV because I like it that it uses words like abide. It means live in. It's like an abode. You abide in an abode. Um, it's where you stay. But that doesn't sound as spiritual. You know, stay in Jesus. Okay. Abide in him. So that when he appears, oh, we may have confidence. When he appears, we may have confidence 
and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Because this choice, folks, this choice has consequences. Whatever this choice is, I'm choosing between either or the world and the love of the world, love of the Father, being taught, led a certain way to always go to that direction, love of the Father, not love of the world, not following teachers who step away from that, lead me to the love of the world. And this anointing I have, because at the end, the Father, who I loved or didn't, is either going to let me say, accept the well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master, or he's going to look at you like, okay, what was my view on eternal security? You don't want God asking that question of himself on the last day. You know, did I really think people could never lose their salvation? Hmm, let me consider. I've been seeing you for the first time here. At the end, I wonder whether or not I should allow people to keep the salvation they... Now, I think people do. But my gosh, shrinking with shame not standing with confidence. You want to stand with confidence, right? You want all this not to be suckered in. Christians can be suckered in by false teachers, by antichrists. I know a lot of Christians who are currently believing some antichrist nonsense. Sometimes in respectable churches. It can happen. You have a choice between being the one with confidence and no shame, walking into his presence on the basis of what? What's this all about? Verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who does right is born of him. Now he's throwing this into the middle of a discussion about false teachers and what our purpose is. What is all of this about? What is Christianity? Is Christianity just, you know, filling some need to have spiritual things answered? Or is it about something? He lets you know that this is about righteousness. And you, got, you need to see righteousness in various places. You need to see it in you. If you're not righteous, why not? If you're not righteous, why are you not spending Sunday afternoon confessing your sins? If you're not righteous, why don't you check to see what it is you're believing? Because we become unrighteous when we serve and love the world and not the Father. That's what happens to you. You're lured and enticed by your own desires. See what love the Father has given us? That we should be called children of God, and so we are. That comes from a passage in the Gospel of John, first chapter. Let me read it to you. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. You were born of God because you received Jesus Christ. The nature of the gospel, that's the love of God for you. That you should be called children of God. And you are the children of God because you believe. Because God gave you the power to be a child of God. John 3, with Nicodemus. 
a man must be born again, born from above. We are that. Knowing what you're about, knowing what, where all the pieces are on the board, you ever look at life and go, I don't know where anything is, and I don't even know what game we're playing. It kind of looks, supposed to be Monopoly, but I think it shoots in ladders. <laughs> or maybe it's just sorry. That's it. What you end up playing. You'd like to think, what are those games you geeks play? Like, what you, give me a name. I hear of this Catan business or... or uh, yeah, it's just stuff that's... They want to make it more involved, like it was really life. But really it's just sorry, and really it's just shoots and ladders. And you don't even know where you are on the board. We're trying to figure out where we are. We've, we've got the anointing from God placing us in the Father, having us stand with a, a basic decision, do I love the world and the things in the world? Do I define this about righteousness? Is this about righteousness? This is not about you feeling something with the high ceiling in your church. This is not about you whether you have some sort of mystical experience. Mystical experiences are great, but it's about righteousness. The reason why the world does not know us is it that it did not know him. We are not only drawn to Christ by the Holy Spirit, not only are we centering ourselves on him instead of on our world and our desires, but the whole world looks back at us and has the same problem. We're associated with Christ. They didn't know Christ, they don't know us. Beloved, we are God's children now. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This whole thing, being it centered on Christ, the gospel centered on Christ, restoring you to the Father, knowing the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit, all conspiring to lead you, point you to things that don't lead you to more sin, but lead you to more righteousness. So much so that you can tell who's in the camp but who's not by their righteousness. So I said that back in verse 29. You may be sure that everyone who does right is born of him. Not everyone who says they have passed from death to life. Everyone who does right is born of him. Because passing from death to life has that effect. And we know that this whole process, this whole period of time that you're going through life, seeking Christ, looking for Christ, is so that you would see him. And someday, you will see him as he is. And when you see him as he is, what's the basic result? You shall be like him. And because of that hope, that very desire to look on Christ, not look on the world, but to look on Christ. I know Christians, I mean, I'm not doubting their Christianity, but who can quote South Park more easily than they could quote the book of Matthew. They've spent no time with Jesus. None. Now, I'm not saying that they study South Park, which just sort of gets fed to them. And South Park can be pretty funny. So it was that. Matthew's not that funny. When it's Christ, do you know your Lord? 
Because you know that the future we're going towards is, is everything in us is conspiring to introduce this Christ to us, to show us this Christ, to have us face Christ and the Father. To deal with those things, the forgiveness of sins, knowing him, overcoming the world, all these things that is said with the very, very bare vantage points of Christians at various maturities. Know where you are, what game you're playing. You're knowing the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in righteousness by facing him and not facing the world. You are being guided by whether or not you stay with the apostolic teaching. Not the apostolic fathers, the apostles. That's what started the Reformation back when the Reformation started. Some of the guys went and actually read the apostles and went, what? This wasn't what the church was teaching. There was salvation by faith. What? What are you being told? Because people are making use of us in Christian circles. And I, I always feel awkward when I tell the saints to be suspicious of their teachers as I teach. Because I don't want any eyes to narrow and look at me like, oh, Wilson, I've got your number. You can trust me, because, you know, I'm right. Now check, is it apostolic? Is what I'm telling you this morning what John the Apostle wrote on the page? When we see him, we shall be like him. And if you hope in that, some of you are counting on the last day, you know, you know, this is really hard work, Evan, being a Christian and stuff. Boy, I can't wait for Jesus to come back and go to glory and everything be fixed. <laughs> and boy, marriage, I'm not married there either. Well, that's a relief. No, 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 the hope you have in him to see him. It's like that great phrase where those Greeks are come up to one of the apostles and say, we would see Jesus. I just ask you a normal question, but the phrase is great. We would see Jesus. We would see Jesus. We want to see this righteousness. We want to, if we hope in him, verse 3 of chapter 3, I'm going to purify myself as he is pure. I'm going to be about this. When I find that I get a little snippy with the wife, Without coffee in the morning, that's not allowed. That's called wrong. You've heard it said, wickedness. Or as Jim Wilson said, it's just sin. You know, just like two guys making love. Oh, there, oh, now we know what sin is. Right? Homosexuality, sin. Being annoyed and speaking like a non-believer maliciously to your spouse it's a sin against the living God just like you got to stop it we're about purifying ourselves this is what Christianity is for is to make good the world was bad you were bad you were by nature children of wrath and if you hope in him for this end you will purify yourself everyone who commits sin verse 4 is guilty of lawlessness.
Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and him there is no sin, and in him there is no sin. Okay, you, looking at the game board, you can recognize this is shoots and ladders. I'm really this is the game I'm playing. Christ, he's really good, right? He's really good. And he came away to get rid of really bad things in you. That's what he's doing. That's why he died. Okay. How many cards do I get? How many get out of jail free cards are in the game? You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Remember, he just told you that that's what the encounter with Jesus Christ does to you. When we see him as he is, we shall be like him. It tells us to abide in him because abiding in him abides in that righteousness. But primarily, this is a warning to the believers of all these different maturities about the teachers out there that are trying to lead you astray, the Antichrists. And I don't recommend that you murmur the word Antichrist under your breath whenever you see one on TV or meet one in an elevator or something. It's not the, the fun is not in calling them Antichrist. It's you recognizing that your faith, you're playing shoots and ladders. You're, you're, you're playing this game. His world, his love, his righteousness, defined by him, defined by his holy apostles. You led to it by the anointing you have from him. And you need to look around you with the, with the blinders off and go, you know, and I don't mean to disillusion you, the Christian religion is a hellhole. Not as Christ wrote it. Not as Christ offered it. Not as God allows you to live in it. But what we've done with it. Because we've let people deceive us. You need to know that if, you, if the teacher abides in Christ, he's not going to be a sinner. This is you examining others. I want you to think about it largely in yourself, but I think he's talking about not being deceived. Verse 26, I write this to you about those who would deceive you. You need to know what the spirit of truth and the spirit of error looks like. And the spirit of error looks like someone who's living in sin. Because no one who's seen sins has either seen him or known him. Somebody comes, you know, riding into town on the new popular what's happening horse for evangelical Christianity. Everybody rushes over to it because it's a new thing. And they live in community. But also are they authentic and relevant? He's not a nice person. I've known people who are old school pastors, who are not nice people. Old school, sing hymns, do everything that I like. They're not nice people. They're not about the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, 
Self-control, that's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But I've also known the happening tattoo. We rat bastards. You do know why Mark Driscoll resigned from Mars Hill. I think Mark is a real Christian. I knew Mark vaguely from way back. But he was mean to people. <laughs> you don't get to be mean to people. No one who abides in him sins. If you want somebody to lead you, you have to have someone who understands and stands so close to the righteousness that when they do sin, as it says earlier in this book, that's the wrong book. As it says earlier in this book, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. He doesn't want us to sin. We're supposed to be purifying ourselves. Those that you listen to have got to understand the game they're playing in Jesus Christ. What is the activity? What is the, what's the, what, we're, what we're about? It's about righteousness. And so that when they sin, they make it right. Little children, let no one deceive you. That's why I think it's talking about your observation of others. Not merely your observation of you. Are you about this? Are you purifying yourself as he is pure? Are you hoping to see Jesus and the nature of his righteousness? But especially when you look at teachers, are you seeing righteousness, holiness? I know teachers who think that teaching holiness is bad for Christianity. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who does right is righteous, as he is righteous. This, that, that's the verse that struck me a few months ago. Gunn was reading the scriptures here, and he read through this section. And that verse, he who does right is righteous. Christians are big about imputed righteousness. Okay? By faith, you are saved, you are forgiven. Christ imputes his righteousness, calls you righteous on, on the basis of Christ's work. We sometimes camp out there because we like, just like people who have a problem with like the federal handout, it's really hard to vote against those people who give you one. And pretty much becomes your income, the federal handout. And that's the way we get with Jesus too. We like that we came into by grace, you know, you mean I'm clean? You mean I'm washed? You mean I'm forgiven? You mean stretch? I, 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 nothing on my conscience? And we think that that's the nature of righteousness in God. It's all imputation. He who does right is righteous, as he is righteous. That's what we're trying to find, to see in Christ. We want to see him. He is right and righteous. He does what is good. Not does what is bad and gets forgiven. That's not the kind of righteousness you see in Christ. He was tempted in every manner like as we, yet without sin. So when I look at Christ, I'm not seeing a forgiven sinner. I am seeing someone who never needed it. And that's what we are purifying ourselves to. He who commits sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. As you're looking at the surrounding teaching the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. This is the game we're playing. Understand? This is when you win. 
over here. It doesn't get to be whatever you want religion to be. No one born of God commits sin, for God's nature abides in him, and he cannot sin because he was born of God. On the surface, I don't want you applying that, just initially, to a measure of you, but a measure of you of another. This is a judgment. You're supposed to be seeing teachers, what you're being led to. Now we know from this very book that Christians sin. I'm writing these things that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. We know sin is possible in the faith. The part of the problem is people look at this verse and say, no one born of God commits sin, and they go, oh, I just got angry at my husband this morning. I guess I'm not a Christian. But this is not what it's telling you to do. It's telling you to observe those who are running this game around you. Is that a game of religion that is based on your worldly desires? Or is it a game of religion that is based on the righteousness that is in Christ? Understand that the people of God are not about sin. Understand that God's nature abides in them. He, he, he will not accept sin. As soon as he knows if we have, have sinned, we have an advocate with the Father. When your pastor sins, does he confess his sin? Just like he teaches you to confess it. By this it may be seen, who are the children of God? That's why I'm telling you it's about others. It's how you see them. Not for you to put this, I have sinned since I became a Christian and I am going to die in my sin. The book doesn't teach that. This is about false teaching. It may be seen who are the children of God. And who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not do right is not of God. Nor he who does not love his brother. There's an awful lot of pastors who are not good people. And one of the basic things they're not good at is playing well with others. They don't know how to be in fellowship with other Christians. It's not, church is not here for you to find a path that you want to live, or that you have the time for, that you're willing to contribute. It's not the level of goodness that you offer to God that's the, the good things that are good for you and easy for you. I... I was, you know, as you know, I got angry last in 1969. I am not an angry person. I don't know if it's the spirit of, the, of God or just I'm just kind of really passive. Let's just say I'm really passive. No credits. I, if I offered, yeah, and I, I really have victory in the anger department. I don't have any victory at all. No, nothing pokes me. Nothing bothers me. I just don't care. Don't offer the righteousness that you find to be easy. What you're willing to offer God, he is the righteousness. He is the image. He is the love. His anointing points you at it. Be that kind of good. That's what the game is. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we're grateful. You've been good to us.
Help us see you and your son in such a way that we purify ourselves, that we recognize those who don't teach righteousness and stay away. We recognize the trip that we may fall into something. It's more sin as we are being asked to follow the world, love the world. We'd ask that you'd set us free from that as well. We'd spot what this uh, life is about. Thank you. In your son's name, amen.